the Bible Curious, where we explore the entire Bible from cover to cover, asking ourselves, what is the Holy Bible? What claims does it make about God? And what message does it have for us today? Whether you're faithful or unfaithful, believing, unbelieving, or just plain curious, this series is for you. I'm Arthur Milliken, and today we will be reading Exodus chapters 16 through 18 from the World English Bible. You can find our reading plan at biblecurious.org slash plan. Exodus chapter 16, Introduction. Having crossed the Red Sea and escaped the clutches of Pharaoh's army, the Israelites find themselves wandering in the wilderness of sin. As their provisions begin to dwindle, they grumble and complain against Moses and Aaron, longing for the comforts of their former lives as slaves in Egypt. In response to their complaints, Yahweh promises to provide them with bread from heaven, which they will gather each day for sustenance. Yahweh also begins to train the Israelites how to be obedient to his law, beginning with the observance of a weekly day of rest. This chapter includes manna and quail from heaven, the Sabbath observed. Exodus chapter 16 They took their journey from Elim, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month, after their departing out of the land of Egypt. The whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said to them, We wish that we had died by Yahweh's hand in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots, when we ate our fill of bread. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then Yahweh said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from the sky for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. It shall come to pass on the sixth day, that they shall prepare that which they bring in, and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. Moses and Aaron said to all the children of Israel, At evening you shall know that Yahweh has brought you out from the land of Egypt. In the morning you shall see Yahweh's glory, because he hears your murmuring against Yahweh. Who are we that you murmur against us? Moses said, Now Yahweh will give you meat to eat in the evening, and in the morning bread to satisfy you, because Yahweh hears your murmurings which you murmur against him. And who are we? Your murmurings are not against us, but against Yahweh. Moses said to Aaron, Tell all the congregation of the children of Israel, Come close to Yahweh, for he has heard your murmurings. As Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the children of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, Yahweh's glory 
appeared in the cloud. Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, I have heard the murmurings of the children of Israel. Speak to them, saying, At evening you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am Yahweh your God. In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning the dew lay around the camp. When the dew that lay had gone, behold, on the surface of the wilderness was a small, round thing, small as the frost on the ground. When the children of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they didn't know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread which Yahweh has given you to eat. This is the thing which Yahweh has commanded. Gather of it, everyone, according to his eating, an omer ahead, according to the number of your persons, you shall take it, every man for those who are in his tent. The children of Israel did so, and some gathered more, some less. When they measured it with an omer, he who gathered much had nothing over, and he who gathered little had no lack. They each gathered according to his eating. Moses said to them, Let no one leave of it until the morning. Notwithstanding, they didn't listen to Moses, but some of them left of it until the morning. So it bred worms and became foul, and Moses was angry with them. They gathered it morning by morning, everyone according to his eating. When the sun grew hot, it melted. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers for each one, and all the rulers of the congregation came and told Moses. He said to them, This is that which Yahweh has spoken. Tomorrow is a solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to Yahweh. Bake that which you want to bake, and boil that which you want to boil, and all that remains over lay up for yourselves to be kept until the morning. They laid it up until the morning as Moses ordered, and it didn't become foul, and there were no worms in it. Moses said, Eat that today, for today is a Sabbath to Yahweh. Today you shall not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day is the Sabbath. In it there shall be none. On the seventh day some of the people went out to gather, and they found none. Yahweh said to Moses, how long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? Behold, because Yahweh has given you the Sabbath, therefore he gives you on the sixth day the bread of two days. Everyone stay in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. The house of Israel called its name manna, and it was like coriander seed, white, and its taste was like wafers with honey. Moses said, This is the thing which Yahweh has commanded. Let an omer full of it be kept throughout your generations, that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. Moses said to Aaron, Take a pot and put an omer full of manna in it and lay it up, before Yahweh, 
to be kept throughout your generations. As Yahweh commanded Moses, so Aaron laid it up before the testimony to be kept. The children of Israel ate the manna forty years until they came to an inhabited land. They ate the manna until they came to the borders of the land of Canaan. Now an omer is one-tenth of an ephah. Because the Israelites had spent several centuries in slavery to the Egyptians, taking a weekly day of rest would have been alien to their way of life. And it took strict obedience training to convince the Israelites to perform a task as simple as resting once per week. It is part of our broken human nature to resist that which benefits us most. This chapter is the first mention of the glory of Yahweh, kavod in Hebrew. Verse 6 reads, Moses and Aaron said to all the children of Israel, In the morning you shall see Yahweh's glory. Then in verse 10, as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, Yahweh's glory appeared in the cloud. This glory, or kavod, of Yahweh appears at multiple times throughout the history of Israel, but is never fully described in the Bible. Perhaps the transfiguration of Jesus in Matthew 17.2 gives us the closest example. He was changed before them, his face shone like the sun, and his garments became white as the light. Seeing this particular appearance of Yahweh reinforced the notion of otherness, which pervaded the Israelite perception of their deity and helped engender the theological view of an omnipotent, omniscient, disembodied God, which prevails among monotheistic religions of today. Exodus chapter 17, Introduction Having a daily serving of manna from heaven to keep them fed, the children of Israel continue their trek through the wilderness. In this chapter, they find themselves in need of water once again and begin to grumble and quarrel against Moses and Aaron. Once again, Yahweh provides for his people by commanding Moses to strike a rock with his staff, causing water to gush forth. However, their troubles do not end there. The Amalekites, a fierce and warlike people, come to attack the Israelites, leading to a battle where Moses stands atop a hill with his hands raised in prayer while a man named Joshua leads the battle below. With Yahweh's help, the Israelites emerge victorious, but the battle serves as a reminder that their journey through the wilderness will not be without opposition and struggle. This chapter includes water from the rock, the defeat of the Amalekites. Exodus chapter 17. All the congregation of the children of Israel traveled from the wilderness of sin, starting according to Yahweh's commandment, and encamped in Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test Yahweh? 
The people were thirsty for water there. So the people murmured against Moses and said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to kill us, our children and our livestock with thirst? Moses cried to Yahweh saying, What shall I do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. Yahweh said to Moses, Walk on before the people and take the elders of Israel with you and take the rod in your hand with which you struck the Nile and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in Horeb. You shall strike the rock and water will come out of it that the people may drink. Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. He called the name of the place Massah and Meribah because the children of Israel quarreled and because they tested Yahweh saying, is Yahweh among us or not? Then Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, choose men for us and go out to fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with God's rod in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. When Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. But when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy. So they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held up his hands, the one on the one side and the other on the other side. His hands were steady until sunset. Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Yahweh said to Moses, Write this for a memorial in a book and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under the sky. Moses built an altar and called its name Yahweh our banner. He said, Yah has sworn Yahweh will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. It's important to note how the Israelites respond to their newfound freedom by complaining, accusing, quarreling, and resisting Yahweh every agonizing step of the way. Their story holds up a microscope to our own broken human nature. And if you think you would have responded differently had you been there yourself, I invite you to think again. This chapter is the first mention of Joshua, whose name means Yahweh saves. And when translated into the Greek of the New Testament, his name would be Jesus. This is no accident, since Joshua is our next incarnation of Christ. When we last met this soul, he had incarnated as Elihu, son of Barakel the Buzite, who stood as an adversary before the congregation of the sons of God, wrongly accusing Job of professing a false faith in Yahweh. In this incarnation, the Christ soul could no longer stand aloof as an observing bystander. Instead, he is called to put himself in harm's way and fight for God's people. This sudden ambush of the Israelites by the armies of Amalek does raise some questions. Who 
tipped off the Amalekites that there would be a soft military target out in the remote Sinai wilderness at this moment in history. Might the invisible hand of someone like Balaam, son of Beor, be working behind the scenes to sabotage the Israelite claim to the promised land? The odd anecdote about Moses' rod during the battle against the Amalekites where Joshua and the Israelites could only maintain an advantage on the battlefield while Moses kept his rod elevated above him leaves me wondering. If you recall, God supplied this particular rod to Moses during his encounter with the angel of Yahweh on Mount Horeb way back in Exodus chapter 4. Might this rod have been equipped with visual sensors which gave a bird's eye view of the battle? If so, then this would explain why Moses needed to keep the rod elevated while standing on his perch. Of course, Joshua would also have needed some way to receive this information while he commanded his warriors below. The Bible doesn't tell us anything about how Yahweh selected Joshua for his special role among the Israelites, but it's clear from this passage and from many that will follow that Joshua enjoyed an exalted status before God. Exodus chapter 18, Introduction As the Israelites continue their journey through the wilderness, they are joined by Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, who brings along Moses' wife and sons. After hearing Moses relate to him all that had happened in Egypt and on their way to the mountain of God, Jethro offers sacrifice and praise to Yahweh for his deliverance of the Israelites. In this chapter, Jethro also advises Moses to delegate some of his leadership responsibilities to capable men, rather than trying to handle everything himself. Moses takes Jethro's advice and sets up a system of judges to help govern and resolve disputes among the people. This chapter includes the visit of Jethro. Jethro advises Moses. Exodus chapter 18. Now Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how Yahweh had brought Israel out of Egypt. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, received Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her away, and her two sons. The name of one son was Gershom. For Moses said, I have lived as a foreigner in a foreign land. The name of the other was Eliezer, for he said, My father's God was my help and delivered me from Pharaoh's sword. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with Moses' sons and his wife to Moses into the wilderness where he was encamped at the mountain of God. He said to Moses, I... Your father-in-law Jethro have come to you with your wife and her two sons with her. Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed and kissed him. They asked each other of their welfare, 
and they came into the tent. Moses told his father-in-law all that Yahweh had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardships that had come on them on the way, and how Yahweh delivered them. Jethro rejoiced for all the goodness which Yahweh had done to Israel, in that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Jethro said, Blessed be Yahweh, who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians, and out of the hand of Pharaoh, who has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that Yahweh is greater than all gods because of the way that they treated people arrogantly. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took a burnt offering and sacrifices for God. Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. On the next day, Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from the morning to the evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he did to the people, he said, What is this thing that you do for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning to evening? Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a matter, they come to me, and I judge between a man and his neighbor, and I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, The thing that you do is not good. You will surely wear away both of you, and this the people that is with you. For the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to perform it yourself alone. Listen now to my voice. I will give you counsel, and God be with you. You represent the people before God and bring the causes to God. You shall teach them the statutes and the laws and shall show them the way in which they must walk and the work that they must do. Moreover, you shall provide out of all the people able men which fear God, men of truth, hating unjust gain, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. Let them Judge the people at all times. It shall be that every great matter they shall bring to you, but every small matter they shall judge themselves. So shall it be easier for you, and they shall share the load with you. If you will do this thing, and God commands you so, then you will be able to endure, and all these people also will go to their places in peace." So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. They judged the people at all times. They brought the hard cases to Moses, but every small matter they judged themselves. Moses let his father-in-law depart. And he went his way into his own land. We saw in the previous chapters that the children of Israel did not take very well to their newfound freedom, repeatedly accusing Moses and Yahweh of having no intention other than to massacre them with deprivation 
out in the middle of the wilderness. We can also see that these former slaves had no ability to govern themselves, spending all their time appealing to Moses to rule over them in their disputes. Clearly, a new social order would be needed in order to transform Israel's slave mentality into a self-determining and socially responsible nation of adult citizens. Moses' father-in-law Jethro offers a very astute observation that the people themselves needed to be educated in matters of law if they were ever to survive as a people. You may recall back in Exodus chapter 3 that Jethro had another name, Reuel, which in Hebrew means friend of God. And if you listened to the introductory episode of this podcast way back in the beginning, where I suggested that Jethro might have been involved in the revelation at Sinai, this chapter shows why. It turns out that immediately after Jethro offers this advice to Moses, Yahweh will commence his great revelation of God's law, which will reverberate throughout history. Do I think that Moses' father-in-law was the great Yahweh himself? No. But I do believe that Jethro, a.k.a. Reuel, friend of God, was in direct communication with the angel of Yahweh, and that the events of the Exodus logically flow one from another. Yahweh will issue the Ten Commandments, not just because he feels like it, but because it is exactly what the Israelites need in their spiritual development from slavery to liberation. Let us pray from Psalm 119, Meditation on the Letter, Nun. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. I have sworn and have confirmed it that I will obey your righteous ordinances. I am afflicted very much. Revive me, Yahweh, according to your word. Accept, I beg you, the willing offerings of my mouth. Yahweh, teach me your ordinances. My soul is continually in my hand, yet I won't forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, yet I haven't gone astray from your precepts. I have taken your testimonies as a heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. I have set my heart to perform your statutes forever, even to the end. Thank you for listening. If you've satisfied any of your Bible curiosity, please rate this series. If you have feedback, write a review. And if you are still curious for more, please subscribe so that we can send you timely updates and join us for our next episode where we will be reading Exodus chapters 19 through 21, the Ten Commandments. Don't let God speak with us lest we die. This is Arthur Milliken saying good night and God bless you.